have about 30 students and uh, looking maybe having 40 in the fall of next year but uh, whatever the number is uh, our goal is to help young people really get a handle on the Christian life and understand, understand spiritual warfare uh, that is our emphasis is spiritual warfare and so uh, you um, pray for our college uh, relatively inexpensive I think it's around 2500 for the year and that includes your housing and all your food, three meals a day, and college. So uh, it's, uh, we, uh, some of y'all want to go right now. You know, it's, uh, young couples say, can we bring the family? Amen. We can live on campus. We'd, that'd be cheap living for our whole family. Amen. Uh, I get you. We, <laughs> I was going to announce this, but we have a Christian school we don't charge tuition to. We have 72 students. We've just always done it that way in our school. And uh, the Lord's always taking care of things for us. We're so grateful. Uh, we try to live by faith. God's been good to us. We, we have, uh, are we on the internet, by the way? Yes, are we okay? I'm going to quit talking about all that stuff there, okay? I, I get people misunderstand when I say certain things out there on the internet. So I'm just going to, um, but you know, you pray for the home and, and that, our home. Let me give you an update on our home. For boys and girls um, is we've had a home for boys and girls for 21 years and uh, the state of Iowa I'm not going to get into the long detail of that but several of their homes uh, were not doing their job they got shut down the state passed new laws and shut our home down in November and that, they didn't actually come attacking my home it was just all the homes in the entire state there was a whole new set of rules and standards so uh, you pray for us. We had to close the home on November the 10th. I shut it down, and uh, we are right now working to get it reopened, but it's going to be quite a, it's a task and a half to meet the standard that they put on us, and we're not complaining about it. We're just believing that God would have us do that, and uh, we're not rebels of bureaucracy. I think sometimes people look at Baptists as rebels of bureaucracy. Uh, I don't think that uh, anybody there at the Capitol intended to be my enemy. I know who my enemy is. I've always known that. Uh, if you would, there's a newsletter back there on the table. It looks like this right here. If you go back and pick that up and um, uh, you know, read about the home and pray for the home. Also, on April the 8th through the 11th, we're having our annual National Spiritual Warfare Conference. And Brother Doug Fisher will be there, and he'll be speaking several times. I'll be doing probably most of the rest of the teaching. And uh, this year, we're going to be looking at uh, not only just strongholds like I described in the material on the table, but I'm going to come at a different angle about strongholds that I've never really taught before, and I hope that maybe if the Lord uh, uh, let you come, that'd be a blessing. If you can't afford to buy stuff on the table tonight, you want to buy it over the Internet, uh, you can. This card right here has our website on the right-hand corner, and you can go on our bookstore there and order whatever you might want to get. Um, it was almost everything that I teach is on DVD and CD, uh, both, not quite everything, but I'd encourage you to go by the table. If you have questions about in, any of the material, then please just come up to me and talk to me about it, and I'd like to help you. Uh, last night we began this series here, and I'm going to kind of fly through this here if I can get this going again, okay? We're stuck again. Is it working on your computer now? Okay, is the, is the clip in there? Yeah, that helps. <laughs> yeah, it's always embarrassing, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I like men in sound booth. I really love them. You got to be nice to them because they control you, you know. They can turn you off. 
you got it, man. And I, you, you look at this, and I'm sure you're getting a handle of what I'm doing right now if you weren't here last night, okay? Catch you up here. I'm just joking. It's not, <laughs> you're not really able to catch up with us on some of this. Let me move forward here. I meant to get this done before I got up here. We talked about last night how that the enemy, Satan, has, according to, um, if, let me grab the scripture here, according to Ephesians, the Bible says, neither give place to the devil, and that he's talking to Christians, and so believers, we can give place over to satanic powers, and that's so hard for so many people to understand. I don't know uh, why it's so hard to understand. You know, people immediately, they go, no, you don't, you don't understand. Christians cannot be demon-possessed. I didn't say demon-possessed. I, I said demonically influenced. Right. You can't be demonically influenced. And uh, honestly, that some of the demonic influenced Christians can act almost as if someone that's demon-possessed. And I've seen that through my years. And, uh, but the, the, according to Paul, he said that we're, don't give place to the devil. Don't give legal right to Satan in your life. And then we've seen what Peter said. He said, be sober, be vigilant. Because why? Because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion about seeking whom he may devour. And so it says seeking whom he may devour means that he has to have <clears throat> excuse me, permission to be able to have ground in our life. He can't come in here and take ground from you without getting permission. And he, listen, he, he, um, he seeks permission from you. You're the one that's in charge of your territory that God's given you. Amen? Amen. And so, you know, we talked about ways that we can open up to demonic activity. And we talked about, um, I don't know what happened to that there, but it's just a little distorted, uh, but that's okay. Uh, don't worry about it. Okay. I think we, did we do something to make it, Okay. Do what? Can you switch it back? Yes. I'm concerned that it may um, may be distorted in some other slides there. Okay. Um, what we did was uh, last night. It didn't cover the whole screen, so they they the display they changed the display to be able to uh, cover the whole screen. But what it does it distorts my. That's a PC, correct? And so my, I use a Macintosh, so Mac, so, okay. Okay, I think you did it, okay. I'm gonna go real fast here. Okay. And so we realized that last night, uh, it didn't fix it, but you know, that's okay. We'll, we'll make it, we'll be all right. I'll, we'll work on that maybe after church tonight, okay? So we can give place to the devil through generational iniquity. Someone uh, always comes up to me and, and normally, and they'll say, now wait a second, I didn't ask for these generational iniquities. They were passed down from one generation to the other. Well, here's the thing, is you don't have to live in your generational iniquities. And if you yield to those generational iniquities, like, like we talked about last night, my, my wife's family had many generational iniquities. My goodness, the, but anger was the big one. It was a big generational iniquity being passed down. And, uh, and so my wife could choose to live in that the rest of her life, or we can break that. And, and Satan will use those generational iniquities to cause havoc in our family. And, and so we broke that generational iniquity in her life and my life. And this is not working here. 
it's just, it's okay. It was working, wasn't it? Yeah, I was just wondering if I, if I was deceiving myself here. Okay, we'll try it now, okay? <coughs> Scripture talks about generational iniquities being passed down to the third and even to the fourth generation. And so last night, we won't go through all that teaching, but last night many of you identified things that seemed like your family's been passing down from one generation to the other. It's still not working, okay? Um, trying to figure out what, to, what we can do. Uh, let's see here. i tell you what you do is, um, I'm not sure it'll work, but... Um, do this, unplug the uh, stick to this and replug it into a different slot there, okay? Should be more slot than just one back there. You love electronics when they work. You hate them when they don't. No, I got a full battery. Do you have a different remote? Here we go. Now we're moving. Uh, it only went once. Okay. I tell you what you do. You keep your eye on me, okay? <laughs> Okay, yeah, he's looking the other way. I thought, oh boy. Okay, just keep your eye on me, and we'll—it's moving now. This is uh, this is weird. Okay, all right. It's gonna be a long night tonight. Okay. So the second door that can get open is the door of abuse. We've seen that there are several kinds of abuse. There's physical, mental, verbal, emotional, or sexual abuse. We dealt with that last night, and what happens is when we're abused and we become bitter toward those who are abusive, then what happens is we open the door to demonic activity through our bitterness. Bitterness is one of the extreme ways that Satan gets a ground in our hearts. In fact, the Bible says that it does what? It troubles us and it defiles many thereby. And we're going to see the results of that bitterness after a while. And Jesus taught us how to deal with that bitterness, uh, that, that unforgiveness, toward others that have offended us when he was on the cross. He says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Then we looked at central sins. That this is to be, I think, one of the strongest doors that can get open when there's adultery, fornication, or uh, internet pornography, or any type of pornography, or homosexuality. Uh, it's hard to believe what's going on in that realm today. We have 420 million uh, 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 websites now that introduce people to the subject of pornography. That means we, we would have enough for each American, no matter how old they are, all the way up to have their own porn website. And you think about that, how disturbing that really is. And then we have uh, just, uh, um, there's um, uh, thousands, 5,000, they're saying 5,000 uh, 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 place, uh, I'm trying to word it right, 5,000 
uh, not websites, but pictures are put on the internet every day, 5,000 new ones. And that's 35,000 a week. That's 1.8 million per year. And so it's a growing uh, thing that's it's killing our churches and, and it opens us up to demonic activity. And so any type of central sins uh, is going to open us up to demonic activity. And so I'm going to flip through here, and if you've done any of those things, then you know what? I encourage you to come tonight to the altar when we give that opportunity to close the doors. And then we talked about the occult practices, and each and every one of these things on here are uh, uh, doors that we can open to demonic activity. Uh, these are things that young people came to our home and they were involved in. And uh, you don't want to be playing with this, as we talked about it last night. And uh, we can open a door to demonic activity by involving ourselves in any of this stuff. And then we talked about movies or video games, central movies, how Job said, I made a covenant with my eyes, why then shall I think upon a maid? And then we talked about fearful movies last night, God's not giving us a spirit of fear. And then we talked about, um, that was scary right there, wasn't it? Uh, violent movies, okay? And... Uh, <laughs> David said this, he says, I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes because his eye, his eye would affect his heart. And so these are doors that we can open up. And then we come to this one tonight. This is a new one for us, okay? And that is drugs and alcohol. If you've done drugs or alcohol in your past, but you've, um, you know, you'll, you'll always have a low threshold in that area unless you really, really uh, got that door closed and you understand how to deal with that. Uh, the Bible's clear. It says, Woe unto them that rise up early in the morning. And it says that they may follow strong drink. They continue, they continue unto night till wine inflame them. And then it says in the scriptures, it says, it says, Who hath woe? Who hath sorrow? Who hath contention? Who hath babbling? Who hath wounds without cause? Who hath redness of eyes? Uh, they that tarry long at the wine, it says, they that go, they go, they go to seek mixed wine. Look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth its color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. He says, at the last, what does it do? It bites like a serpent, stings like an adder. Thine eyes shall behold strange women, and thine heart shall utter perverse things. And then he says, yea, thou shalt be as he that lieth down in the midst of the sea, or he that uh, lie, um, lieth upon the top of a mast. So what he's telling us here in the scriptures, you know what, dawned to me, I... Um, I think I know what the problem is, okay, but I'll go deal with it later. Um, uh, you know, the, perver the, the, um, the deception that alcohol does, you know, the Bible says that they literally go out and lay down in the ocean, try to take a nap, or they go on top of a ship mast and say, I'll sleep up here. And, uh, and then it talks about, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll behold strange women, you'll see women inappropriately under the influence of alcohol. And then we see the Bible, uh, the Bible goes on and says, They have stricken me, shalt thou say, and I was not sick. They have beaten me, and I felt it not. When shall I awake? I will yet seek it again. It's like, you know, I did it last time. We'll go back out and do it again tonight. Now, this is very important that we understand uh, some truth here. Here's a powerful truth. Anything that takes you out of control brings you under the control of another power. Does that make sense to you? Anything that takes you out of control brings you under the control of another power. And what, what I mean by that is, you know, when I was growing up and I was in high school, uh, there was a drug that came out called LSD. And it was a hallucinative type of drug. And uh, we would have guys come to school and they'd, they'd come up to me and they'd say, you know, I had a bad trip last night. And I thought, where'd you go? And, 
and they go, you don't know. Now, I don't understand that. I was a Christian, and I didn't do those things. But, but they said I had a bad trip. And almost every time they talked about having a bad trip, they would say, I would see images of, of evil in, my, in the windows looking at me. And, and I would see, and, and we would hallucinate. And we'd see, they would say, we saw demons. We, we, and and they, we got so scared. Now, look at me. A lot of people say that's because of the drug that they saw that. No, here's what happens, is they really do see into that realm. Yeah. They really do see into that realm. Those are real people, are, uh, spirits that they see. And what happens is the drugs bring them under the control of another power at that point. And you, it's not the drug. It's the drug that opens them up to the dark realm. And so some people, why is it always that? Why is it always seeming demonic powers that they see? Why is it fear that they have when they're on a bad trip? It's because demonic powers are influencing them when they're under control of another power. And you know what? God doesn't want anything to control me but his spirit. Amen? And so anything, I don't care what it is, whether it's... Uh, uh, drugs, alcohol, <clears throat> anything that, that uh, controls me besides the Spirit of God is going to open me up to another source of power in my life. And I remember sometime back, I'll be discreet here, <clears throat> but a pastor that I know um, was used to be on drugs before he got saved and he was uh, uh, heavily into it, got saved, went to Bible college, did real well, went and started church and was uh, doing good. In fact, I preached for his church twice, and I was so impressed with what was going on there. And then one day I called back out there because another meeting was coming up. I was going there every year, and, and I called, and they said, no, he's not here anymore. And I said, well, what happened? And they said, well, his wife caught him snorting a line off the top of his desk. Now, in your mind, you think that's so terrible, and it is terrible, but, but now think about this, is, is on a bad day, if you've ever done these things and high pressure's on you because you've opened that door and you've never really dealt with that, closed that door like we're going to deal tonight at the end of the service, then you know what? He was fighting that battle without having closure on that particular area of his life. And uh, the enemy was waiting for him to, to, under the pressure of growing the church and under the pressure of uh, finances. You know, it's amazing what we bow to, isn't it? Amen. And so drugs and alcohol can open you up to uh, demonic activity. Uh, another one is traumatic experiences can open you up to demonic activity, such as the ones on the board here going through a divorce. Uh, you know, a husband abandons his children. Um, a car accident that you didn't really anticipate and, and took a life maybe, or being raped, a death, or going through an abortion, being molested, uh, church issues. Maybe you went to a church and you had a church split. And, uh, or maybe your own children's issues, you know, um, maybe raise your kids to live for the Lord, and they don't live for the Lord like they should now, and, and you know, that hurts us, amen? And these type of traumatic experiences that we go through, they can, they can actually literally open us up to demonic activity because we become bitter either toward ourselves, toward others, or toward God. And that, is, that will open you up to demonic activity. I was uh, preaching down in Ohio Many years ago, this has been at least 10, 15 years ago, and church about this size auditorium, and the, uh, a man came through the door there, and he was a sharp young man. I would guess somewhere around the age of my son now, 35, 34, 35. And he came in, and his mother came in behind him, 
And as they come down the aisle, I noticed he, he had this he had glassy eyes. And he got, he got finally up to here, and he came around the corner, and he, he did one of these. And, uh, and then he, he shuffled over, and he sat down. And the church service hadn't started yet. And so I went down, and I knelt down in front of him. And I, and I said to him, I said, what kind of drugs are you taking? Uh, he was doing pharmaceutical drugs. And he couldn't even answer me. And he turned to his mom and, and kind of groaned to her. And, and she began to list the pharmaceutical drugs that he was on. And I said, uh, you know, um, can I tell you something? If, if he doesn't get help and he stays in this state, then what's going to happen is what, what will happen to him once you pass away? You know, do you see what I'm saying? And so she was going to have to take care of him the rest of his life in that condition. And I asked him, I said, what happened to you? Uh, how long have you been on pharmaceutical drugs like this? And he couldn't answer me. She said it had been about five years. I said, what, what happened five years ago that would cause you to be in this condition? And she told me. She said he got married, and on the day of his wedding, as they were leaving the church, they got in his car, and they, everybody waving. They got down to the intersection below the church there, and as they pulled out, uh, had a green light, a diesel truck didn't stop at his red light and came and broadside the car. And what it did was killed his bride right there. I mean, it was instantaneous, took her life right there while he's sitting in the car, just leaving from his wedding. And you know what happened was uh, he got bitter. He got mad at God. And we've all done that. Haven't we, haven't we done that? We go, God, why did you let that happen? And, and why did does this, these things happen to good people? And, you know, here we are trying to live for you, amen, trying to serve you, and things happen. And, uh, and so what happened was, obviously, he gave himself over to the enemy through his bitterness. And maybe you're bitter tonight over something on this board. I remember years ago, a young girl came from out in California to my home. She was uh, 14 years old. And she was sitting in my office. I, I did a lot of the counseling with these young people. And uh, I stepped out to get a cup of coffee and was going to come back in. And, uh, and when I came back in, I had a table about like this. And she was taking her head and she's a, she was pounding it on the table. And, I mean, it was doing damage to for her forehead. And I slid my Bible underneath her head. I said, hey, you got to quit doing that. You're going to break my table. Amen. <laughs> so, just joking now. You're going to hurt your head, I said. And she, she, I said, why are you so mad? Why are you so mad? And here's what she said to me. She said, I rode a church bus every Sunday to church. I learned those wonderful songs that taught us in children's church and all that. But she said, my mom and dad fought all the time. And so when they would fight, I'd go out and get in the swing, and I would swing. And while I'm swinging out there, uh, they would yell, and they would scream. And I hear them fighting, physically fighting. And so I would sing louder to overcome their voices and, and the fighting. And the louder they get, the louder I'd sing. And the louder they get, the louder I'd sing. And... And she said, I was about five years old. I was out there and I was singing as loud as I could because it was so breaking my heart to hear them fight like that. And she said, my dad came out, slammed the door, came over and stopped the swing. And he said, said to me, he said, honey, I love you and I'll be back. And he kissed me on the forehead, got in his truck and he drove away and I waved at him. And I kept swinging. My mom came out and mascara was running everywhere and she had been hit and hair messed up, and she said, come on inside, and she said, no, I'm going to wait here till Dad comes home. He said he'd be right back, and she said, your dad's not coming home. He's, he's moving away with another woman right now. He's leaving us. He's not coming home, 
And she held on to the chains of that swing. And the mom tried to pry her hand. She said, no, I'm not coming in until Dad comes home. He said he'd come home. And she said, I was out there in that swing until 8 o'clock that night. And then 9 o'clock at night, my mom came out at 10 and said, you've got to come in. She said, I'm not coming in because he's coming back. He told me he'd come back. And my mom tried to pry my hands. I fought her. She gave up. At 2 o'clock in the morning, I'd fallen asleep in the swing. And I was holding on. And my mom came out and carried me inside. And then she said this. I'll never forget it. She said, and he never came back. And just like that with greater intensity than that. And I looked at her, and I said, the enemy's beating you up over what your dad did. You see what I'm saying? The, the enemy is a trickster. He beats you up over what people do. Amen? And, and, and so here she is all bitter. And I told her this. I said, honey, bitterness is like this. Drink poison and hope the other person dies. That's exactly what bitterness is, isn't it? As we, and so here she is, she's drinking poison through her bitterness, and it's killing her. And I said to her, how's your dad doing? Oh, he's out in New Jersey somewhere. He's married, has three more children now. And I, I said, so he's doing okay, but your bitterness is not hurting him. It's the only person that's hurting is you. And I can't tell you the whole story right now, but as she began to break down, we began to walk through the doors and deal with the lies that Satan had put in her mind, like you're worthless, you're no good, it was your fault, your mom and dad split up, and on down the list, uh, and all that bitterness was coming out of her. And as she chose to forgive her father for what he did to her, it was unbelievable what, had, what took place. It was like a root inside of her. The Bible calls it the root of bitterness. God reached in, grabbed that root, and he pulled it out of her, and he replaced it inside of her of total forgiveness for her father. And that young lady was in our home for about three years, and she was able to go back home and do something for the Lord. I can't tell you how many stories I, uh, I would love to tell you about how this, the, when people go through traumatic experiences like these, and uh, that, you know, they, they just get mad at themselves, or mad at God, or mad at others. And all that does is cause bitterness. Listen to me carefully. If you're here tonight, you have any bitterness in your heart toward anybody or any unforgiveness toward anybody, I'm going to talk some more about it later, is I would just tell you tonight, let's give it up tonight. Stop drinking the poison that's killing you and the other person's walking around free. Amen? And then we see another door is the door of music. Music can be a door to demonic activity. The Bible says, In what concord hath Christ with Belial? The word concord is an interesting word. It is, the word is symphonesis, where we get our word symphony. It means harmony. So we can read it like this, In what harmony or what symphony does Christ have with Belial? Now, I, I know that every church is a little bit different, and, and I'm not into doing a seminar on music tonight, okay? But my church, we sing hymns, and we sing choruses, and we sing scripture songs. I had someone one, one time tell me, oh, I would never sing those scripture songs. We believe in the hymn, though, in the old book. I said, well, there's one older than that, okay? And that's what we're singing out of. It's called the Bible, okay? And so, you know, it's kind of funny what we, how we are, isn't it? Is that we believe the Bible is the inspired word of God, but we can't sing out of it because the old hymn book, you know. But and by the way, we sing we sing hymns in my church. Don't think I don't, but but it, it's just. Um, but what concord hath Christ with Belial? What what what? How how do they connect? And their music, our music should be different than the world's. Amen. And you can judge whatever you want in your church how to manage that. I'm not here to do that. Uh, I'm just saying that that I don't think that we ought to. Uh, listen to rock music. 
I don't think we should listen to rap music. I don't think we should listen to country music. It all does damage to us. Amen? Because as the Bible says, that whatsoever you do, do it to the glory of God. There's no way that you can, I mean, you know, I read this one time that if you take an album, put it on a record player and play it backwards, country music, they say if you do that with an album of country music, you'll get your truck, your car, and your, and your wife and your dog back. Now, I don't know if it's true or not, you know, because every time they sing, they lose those things. Somebody came up to me, and they were taking notes one night, and they, were, they, they said, could you repeat that? I mean, I'm, I was just joking. <laughs> but let me give you an illustration of the Bible. The Bible tells us about a story about David and the Ark of the Covenant, how the Ark of the Covenant got taken away by the Philistines, and they, they took it home to their camp, and they put it in a room with their god, Dagon. Remember the story? And while it was in there, uh, the... Um, uh, they came back the next day, and Dagon had fallen over, and it broke his hands off. And so they propped Dagon back up next to the Ark of the Covenant, and the next day they came in, he'd fallen over, and his head was knocked off. Now, I've never understood this. I really haven't. So what they decided to do is keep their broken God and send the God that broke their God away. I, it would only seem to me you'd keep our God. Amen? But they didn't do that. So they take the Ark of the Covenant and they put it on an ox-drawn cart and they send it back. Well, it gets intercepted. It's coming back in, long story short, as it's coming across a rough terrain right there. Uh, it starts to topple a little bit. And some guy reaches up and he's going to keep the Ark from falling off. And God kills him for, for, for settling the Ark up there, for touching it. And in my mind, I thought, why would God kill somebody for doing that? Now, understand this is the Ark of the Covenant represents, if we put that in a New Testament theme, it would represent the Holy Spirit in our day, the power of God, the presence of God. Amen? And so the Bible tells us when Moses built the Ark of the Covenant, that God told him that there would be rings on the side, kind of like this community table, there would be rings on the side of the Ark of the Covenant. And they would have these gold, uh, overlaid gold staves or rods that they'd run through those rings. And then what they would do is these men of God, Levi the priest, would get up underneath it and they would carry the Ark of the Covenant on their shoulders. And that's what God said. When you transport my Ark, I want you to transport it on the shoulders of men of God, holy men of God. Now, so my mind goes, why did God kill the guy? And here's, here's why I think God was telling us today, is don't use Philistine carts to try to usher God's presence into your ministries. Because God told us that, you know, you know, we can use all kinds of things. Churches have been doing all kinds of weird things to get a crowd. You know what I'm saying? For down through the decades. And wouldn't it be neat if we could just build our church on the presence and power of God and, and, and leave the Philistine cars alone? Amen? And uh, so, uh, you know, you say, well, what do we do? Well, the way you can get the power and presence of God into your ministry is by men of God and women, too. Women of God, holy men and women of God who are willing to live holy and pray and seek the Lord and be full of the Spirit. Amen? That's imperative if you're going to have the presence of God in your ministry. But, but music can be very destructive. I grew up in the 70s, and, and uh, music was very influential in my life, and I saw it destroy people's life, and, and, uh, and, and so it can open up to demonic activity. I know you know this, because you people of the Word, that the enemy, there were three, arch, I'm sorry, there are three archangels. We have uh, Michael the archangel, which is a warring angel, and Gabriel the messenger angel, and then we had Lucifer the worship angel. 
And the reason why music is so used today uh, to destroy young people's lives is Lucifer has taken music and put the twist to it. And young people, I mean, look at their concerts. They're, they're actually worshiping the people on the platform. Really, it really is that way. And we got to make sure our churches don't go that route. Amen? Because when we start doing the dark ceilings and, and lights, or you can't hardly read out here, but, and, and uh, listen, uh, I think this. I think there's nothing wrong with worshiping the Lord. And I think our worship ought to be intense. I really do. I think our worship ought to be with all of our heart. The Bible says, offer him the high praises of God, not the low praises, the high praises with all your heart. But I think that what we got to watch out is that we don't become... Uh, performance of music. Uh, like, okay, we got the band now. Who's got the best band? You go listen to them. You don't need a band to listen to to go church. Amen? I'm, I'm just trying to help you, and, and I know you already know all this, but but don't use Philistine cards to usher God's presence. It, it will bring demonic activity into your... People will die from using the Philistine cards. And then we know that secrets, this is an unbelievable thought, that secrets are Satan's greatest secret weapon. In other words, uh, the, here's what the Bible says. The scripture says, confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Well, what a powerful verse of scripture. In other words, did you know that God wants your church to be more transparent with one another than what you are? Amen. My church is probably too transparent, Okay. Uh, we, we have, it's crazy how transparent my church is. And I'm transparent. I tell, I say everything. I tell my church everything I, I do. You know, my wife goes, oh, Marvin, they're, gonna, they're never going to respect you. But you know what I find out is they found out that I'm like they are. Amen? And, and you said, well, I don't want to know you're like we are. Well, why not? You know? And my feet are clay. Your feet are clay. Amen? And, and here's the thing. As uh, we are in the body of Christ, my church, uh, our people have come from all over the world because they were in trouble, and they came there. And if you would have someone stand up and say, are you from Fort Dodge, Iowa? It's a minority of people from Iowa that are in my church. The majority of my people moved from all over the world to come there and get help. That's the way it is. It's a hospital. And the other day we had a couple come because they were in trouble. They, had to, they relocated to our church. And they're sitting there, and our people are very attentive to that. So this lady who, uh, in my church, who many years ago, 15 years ago, was in trouble, her and her husband, they moved there. She gets up, walks over, and she sits down. She goes, can I tell you my story? And she unloads her story on this couple. And her story is similar to that lady's story. God led her over there. And she, in other words, transparency, amen? Well, the Bible says that we should confess our faults one to another, and then pray for one another that you may be healed. I think it's very important that you have accountability set up in your life. I meet with men in the morning from 7.30 to 8, different, uh, individual men, uh, different, one each morning, and for accountability reasons. I, uh, I have accountability with my son. I have accountability with my wife. Everything that I look at on my laptop shows up on her laptop. And we have the same account, and, and same with my phone. I think that I want to keep transparent as much as I know how to keep transparent. Amen? And, uh, but you know what? Wouldn't it be neat if your church could get to this place where if, if, if this man over here is struggling with something, he can go to somebody else in the church, and I'm struggling with this, and we don't throw him under the bus for struggling. Amen? I mean, we're a bunch of Pharisees sometimes, aren't we? 
And, and you know, here we are struggling over the same thing. We're not transparent about it. He's going to be transparent. Well, the Bible says if you're able to be transparent, then you can be prayed for. And then look what it says. You can be healed from, by, through your transparency and your confession. Isn't that good? In fact, the Bible says in, this, in Psalms, it says, Thou hast set our iniquities before thee, our secret sins in the light of thy countenance. And so there's nothing hid from God, is there? No, there's nothing hid. I remember one time counseling a couple. They gave me permission to use this story. I don't give you their name. But they came to me. This is way back in 2000 and probably, let's see, four or five, something like that. And they came to my office, and they were in their 30s then. And as I got to this one right here, I said, do you have any secrets that you've never told each other? And you see, when you got a secret, you know what happens is, is every time you think about that secret, it makes you nervous. And the enemy jerks you around with that secret, right? Well, anyway, she said, oh, she turned almost ashen gray. She just got sick in her stomach when I said, do you have a secret? And she says, yeah, I've got a secret, but I don't think I can tell it. And her husband put his arm around her and said, you can tell it. I can handle it, whatever it is. Please tell it. And so she said that when she was 16 in high school, that she uh, had a boyfriend and she came up pregnant. And she went to the office and they gave her a test and said it was positive. She was pregnant. And the counselor told her, said, would you like for us to take care of this for you? And she said, well, what do you mean? Well, we can get rid of this problem if you want this problem taken care of. And she said, oh, absolutely, I want to take care of that. And they said, well, come with me. And they went out and got in the counselor's car and drove to an abortion clinic, and she got an abortion that day. And she had never told anybody. In fact, the counselor of the school said this to her, don't tell, listen to this, don't tell your parents and don't tell your pastor. Isn't that interesting? So she had never told anybody, ever. So here it is, 15 years later, 16, 17 years later, here she is, and it's come out. And she's been sitting on this secret, and you know what the devil does with the secret? He just jerks you around with that secret. And as she confessed that, then we prayed for her, and God healed her of that right there. Amen. And it was so exciting. And, and, and here's what her husband said to me. Every time the preacher would get up on Sunday morning and said, tonight I'm going to preach about abortion, she was always sick on that night. She wouldn't go to church that night. And now she said, I'm so forgiven, I'm so free. Well, then I turned to him and said, do you have any secrets? And he really got nervous then. And, and she says, you can tell your secret. And he said, well, honey, back in, and he named a year. He said, in that particular year, she goes, you don't have to say anymore. I knew. I already knew what you were doing. And I knew who you were with. And she said, I prayed that you'd stop that. Because I knew if I confronted you, you'd be so mad at me and you'd, you'd deny it. And he broke down and cried and confessed his... You see, then he was walking around in bondage with his, and she was walking around in bondage with hers. And maybe you're here tonight, and maybe you work with somebody, and, and now there's a flirtatious relationship. Maybe nothing physical, but there's a flirtatious relationship going on, and you're leaning that direction. Well, you're not gonna, if you don't get that confessed up and taken care of, uh, you could ruin your whole life. And the enemy will come and use that to jerk you around. Amen. And I don't, I don't know, I could give you more and more illustrations, but secrets are a very terrible thing to have uh, in our lives. And so I've, I've tried to be transparent with everything in my life with my wife. I'm so thankful that I have a wife that I can do that with. And then we have another door, is the acts of rebellion. The scripture is very, very plain. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 23, it says, For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And so witchcraft, we don't have any problem knowing what that is, right? Well, rebellion is that like witchcraft. That's exactly what it means, amen? Don't try to twist it. Don't try to dilute it. It means demonic activity. 
In other words, when you rise against your parents, you are a rebel. When you rise against your husband, you're a rebel. When you rise against your boss men, you're a rebel. Amen. When you drive over the speed limit, you're a rebel. Hey, huh? You go, I don't agree with that. Doesn't matter to me. You're wrong. I'm right. Because you know what a rebel is? Someone that transgresses the law. And where did rebellion start? It started in heaven with Lucifer. And the Bible says he rose up against God, didn't he? And God kicked him out of heaven over his rebellion. And now what he does, he wants you to be a rebel. And you go, well, I don't think this driving thing's that bad. Well, now when you get a teenager and uh, they've been watching over your shoulder looking at you going 70 and a 65, and you go, oh, don't reach her. That's okay because because they won't pick you up if you're just a few miles over the speed limit. Well, then, if you're not worried about it, then why every time you're driving 70 and you see a state patrolman, you hit your brakes? And you close, shut it down to 65. Why do you do that? Because you know what? Inside of you is a conscience that says you're wrong. Amen. And so then your teenager gets a license, and then they get a ticket for going 70 and a 65, and they come home, and you rail them. You say, you're not going to drive until you're 40 now. That's the way it is. You're never going to drive again, and from now on you pay, and, and your child's going, you know, you taught me how to drive. I watched you. <laughs> Amen? So rebellion against authority, rebellion against our God-given authorities, um, my friend, I'm going to tell you something. It really invites demonic activity into our lives as Christians. I, uh, I want to take the time to tell you this story. I'll tell it quick. But I was talking to a, a couple. They were Lutheran. Uh, I counsel Lutheran people, believe it or not. Amen? And uh, they were in Iowa, and they had come down. They were farmers, and they were come to my church for counseling. Their pastor didn't know how to help them. He was always in a rage. I'm talking about rage. And so what happened was, uh, I'm sitting there, and I got to this here, the acts of rebellion. And I said, are you a rebel? Are you rebellious toward authority? And here's what he did. He went, and his little wife's going. <laughs> and and, and I, I said, okay, I, I've got a mixed message here. And uh, I said, are you angry, and are you a rebel? And he goes, and she goes. And he went like this, stop it. You quit doing that. He just told on himself, didn't he? Huh? He's an angry man. And I said to him, I said, you are a rebel. And I said, do you have a hard time working for people? Oh, I won't work for anybody. And I said, I bet you call policemen cops or pigs. Yeah. I said, I bet you struggle with pastoral authority. She said, he's responsible for running three pastors off from our church. And I said, you're a rebel. And I said, where did that rebellion begin? Now watch the story. I said, trace it back. Pray with me right now and ask God to show you where you opened the door to rebellion. Here's where the story goes. When he was 17 years old, he had a pickup truck. They lived on a farm. He came home on a Friday night after school to eat supper with his family. He was going to go riding around with his friends in town. And while he was sitting there eating, he told his dad, so I've got to go to town. I'm going to ride around with my friends. They said, you're not going to town. It's going to rain. We have to get the crops in. We have to do all night long, run the combines. And I need for you to drive the truck and haul the grain in. He said, well, Dad, I gave my word to my friends. I'm going to take them for, in my truck. And he said, you're not going. 
And as soon as supper was over, he said, I got up, I rinsed my plate off, put it in the strainer. And then he, he ran, got his keys off the hook and ran out to his truck. He's going to rebel against his dad. And his dad, he didn't know, was right behind him. And as he opened the truck door and got in, he put the key in the ignition. His dad reached through the window and grabbed the keys and pulled it out. And he said, that moment, something evil came over my life. And I was so mad at my dad. I took the truck door and I hit my dad. And he fell down in the, in the driveway and the keys flew into the yard. And I ran past my dad. My mom was over there picking up my keys. He said, I couldn't believe I did. I pushed her down in the grass. I picked up my keys, I got in the car, in my truck, and I said, old man, don't you ever touch my keys again. I work to pay for this truck, I pay for my insurance, and I'm going to go ride around tonight. And he started the truck and left. Well, he knew he better not come home while they were up, so he waited too really late to come home. When he got home, they weren't there. And when he went to push the answer machine, it was his mom's voice that said, John, please come to the hospital now. Your dad has had a heart attack. And then that was at like, nine o'clock and then there was another message on there and said don't worry don't come your dad died and at that point he had opened the door to a rebellious spirit and in my office it was so neat to see this 50 year old man get on his knees ask God to break that rebellious spirit in his life and he renounced it and commanded it to leave his life alone and to bring a sweet, submissive spirit to all God-given authorities back into his life. And when he did that, it was so neat. And I got a letter some years ago. That was a long time ago since they were there. But I got a letter. And she said, my, our pastor's best friend is my husband. Whatever our pastor needs or wants, my husband makes sure it, gets hap it happens and he gets it. And isn't that a good testimony? Maybe you're a rebel tonight. You can't stand authority. I like these guys sometimes in churches. They'll go, you know what? I'll come to your church, but you're not telling me how to raise my kids. Oh, you don't need help raising your kids. You've never raised them yet. And we've raised ours. And you don't need our help. Go ahead. Go ahead. You need authority in your life. Amen? And so maybe you're a rebel tonight. And then we see the next one is humanistic teachings. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians, it's casting down, the next word would be imaginations. Then it says, and cast down every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God. Now, this is the knowledge of God. Y'all believe that tonight, amen? This is the knowledge of God. <clears throat> and God says any teaching that tries to exalt itself above the knowledge of God is going to be demonic activity. Did you know that? Okay. In fact, the Bible tells us in James there are four sources of wisdom. There's that which is earthly and sensual and devilish. And then he says, and that which cometh from above. Four sources of wisdom. Any wisdom that doesn't come from above is humanistic wisdom. Earthly, that's humanistic. Uh, central, we know what that is. It's, uh, and then devilish, there's devilish wisdom. And you know, you'd be amazed how many of God's children are filled with humanistic teaching. The Bible says, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the traditions of men and, and after the rudiments of this world and not after Christ. Any teaching that doesn't run in harmony with my Bible, I'm not going to listen to it. Amen? In fact, the Proverbs write this. He said this, Cease, my son, to hear instruction that causes thee to err, causes to err from the words of knowledge. Any type of instruction that causes you to err from this book. Uh, television today. Uh, sitcoms. Comedy sitcoms are filled with this this message. I don't know if you've ever seen it. You know, like uh, like you got 
you know, see these uh, families, uh, a sitcom about a family. It'd be a mom, and it'd be a teenage boy and teenage girl, and dad, he's this real tall, dumb guy, okay? And so he's not home yet from work, and mom's talking to the kids, and they're telling mom what they're going to do tonight, and uh, she says, well, we can't tell your dad that, and because, and you know, kind of make fun of him and and on that show they have a button they push and makes people sound like people are laughing and so you get caught up in laughing at the father and then the dad comes through the door side door the kitchen door and he's got a little lunch box he's he's mammoth guy and he's carrying a little lunch box like this and he says a lot of dumb stuff in that in that in the scene and everybody's laughing at him and you know what's doing it's training young people that your parents don't know anything your dad's dumb and training mothers to hide things from the, from the dad, and it's training the children that if you don't get your way by one parent, you get your way by another parent, and all of that sitcom is destroying the home, as stru- the home structure. Um, some years ago, there was a man that took his little girl uh, out in the East Coast, and he dropped her off at the kindergarten, and he was an attorney himself, and, and we dropped her off, and uh, he said, I'll pick you up at noon. Now, I'll be honest with you, I understand that maybe you, uh, don't have a Christian school around here, but you, if you send your children to a public school, and you should be actively involved in the life of those people that are teaching your children something. In other words, they should know you by first name, and you should drop by there every week. I mean, every week. Well, I mean, think about this. Think about this. We, we, there are children, God gave them to us, and we send them in a brick building. We don't even know what those people believe. And we say, we'll pick you up, and they have them more hours than we do. And then when we, we can't understand why they don't believe like us. Amen? So he drops his little kindergarten girl off. She goes inside, and at noon, he picks her up. She comes out, sits in the car, and he says, what do you got there? She said, well, I got two books in this little bag, and you and Mom are supposed to read them to us tonight. And she said, well, let me see them. So he pulls one out and says, why, why Bobby has two daddies in his house? And the other one is, why Sally's mom's girlfriend lives with them? And you understand what that's promoting. It's promoting the homosexual and lesbian lifestyle. And he says, we're not reading those books. So he marches back in there and, and says to the lady at the desk, the desk says, we're not reading these books to my little girl. And she said, well, no, you are reading those books to your girl because that, she can't graduate without those books being read to her. He said, well, it's not going to happen. She said, you need to take it to the principal. So he took it to the principal. The principal said, you got to read the books. And then he took it to the school board. And the school board said, you got to read the books. Took it all the way to the state and fought it and lost. And here's what the state decided. The state decided that mom and dads do not have the ability to train their children in social and moral issues. That that's the responsibility of the school system. Now you think about that. And here we have humanism crept in and taken our children's hearts away from us. Amen. But see, I was raised in a humanistic school. I went to a public school, raised, graduated there. Barely graduated, but I did graduate. <laughs> and, and, you know, uh, there was a lot of things I was taught uh, that wasn't Bible. And I'm just telling you tonight, if you have humanistic teaching in your head, that is a door to demonic activity in your life. And then we have unhealthy soul ties. Unhealthy soul ties. Um, the Bible says in James, it says this, ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with God? The word enmity is an interesting word. It means viciously opposes God. And then it says, uh, then whosoever therefore be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Let me explain this to you really quick here, um, how that works. Uh, in our society, the way we operate 
is um, we have what we call dating. And, uh, and I don't care what you call it, if you call it dating or courting, I call it courting in my, my ministry. I don't call it dating. And I, I, I don't, again, if you want to divide all that up some way, that's fine. We call it courting. When it comes to dating, though, the dating spirit that has prevailed in our country is girl gets raised up and she, around 13, 12, 13, 14, she gets interested in boys. And so she gives her heart away to a boyfriend and then breaks up with him. And, you know, even when they're 14, you know, they really believe they're in love with them. And then they, they get a new boyfriend and then they give their heart to that boy and then they break up. And then she gets out of high school and goes to college, and there at college she dates some guy, and she thinks this is a neat guy and gives her heart away, and then they break up, and then meet another one, break up, and then finally she meets Mr. Wright. And so what happens is she's given her heart away all down through the years. Since she was 14, she's beginning to piece her heart away, and now she's going to marry the right one. And when she marries the right one, guess what? She doesn't have much heart left for the one that God wanted her to marry. You see what I'm saying? See, God wanted us to be a one-man woman and a one-woman man. And that's why, you know, let me give you an illustration of this here, um, how strong a soul tie can be. Because I had to break a soul tie. When I was uh, 14, 15 years old, I was on a baseball team, and my catcher of the team lived down the street, and I was the pitcher. We had a winning season. Him and I would get together every day, and we'd, we'd practice. And one day we was pitching the ball to him, and uh, his sister came out and sat on the on the picnic table watching us and she was a very beautiful young lady and, and of course a young man I, I thought well she's an attractive young lady and I'm playing ball with him and, and he introduced her to me and, and we kind of struck up a friendship and then one day I came down to play ball with him he wasn't there she was from a single parent home her mom worked I was a single parent home my mom was working and I came down I said where's Ronnie she said well he's not here and so she invited me in to watch a movie now, I know that's not the best thing, but you understand, uh, my life wasn't like I raised my kids, okay? My mom worked all the time because my dad died when I was three, and that's my life. And so we're pretty much on our own in many different ways. And I went and watched this movie with her. Well, while we were watching that movie, we were sitting on the couch. I'd never sat in, in anywhere next to a girl. I still had, I had a good two feet between us. And, and I had my hand on the cushion of the couch watching this movie, and her hand was right there. And my pinky touched her pinky. Oh, boy, isn't that terrible? Amen? I mean, I'm about to lose my salvation over this, okay? And, and so then my pinky wrapped around her pinky. And, and you know, it's funny. I, I look back at this, and as we're, our pinkies are, we're in a pinky lock there, okay? And you know what I did? I pulled a pillow, and I put a pillow over our hands. And isn't that something? Nobody's there. But you know what? I knew it was wrong, so I covered it up like Adam and Eve in the garden. You see what I'm saying? And that pillow laid there, and I'm sitting like watching the movie like this. And hoping her mom doesn't come home and kill me, amen? And that was the end of that, okay? And so then I meet my wife, uh, Alice. Alice was 14. I was 16 when I met her. She was a waitress at a truck stop. And so when I met her, I got a job as a dishwasher there. And immediately, and I told my brother, he was a cook. I said, I'm going to marry that girl. And I did. And so we were married, and remember, I was with that pinky lock with that girl in 1972. Well, in 1993, I moved up to Fort Dodge, Iowa to start this church. And I, we never had a Walmart where I was from. So, man, Fort Dodge has a Walmart. I felt like I was moving on up, amen? And so I went into Walmart, and while I was in Walmart, I'm walking around going, wow, we got a Walmart. 
And the song over the intercom came on. It was the theme song from that movie from 1972, watching it with that girl. And when that song came on, my heart, it got, I began to have those feelings from that pinky lock. And I thought, wow, I literally so thought she has to be in this store. I know that's crazy. And you know what I had done? I gave my heart to that girl. And that day, I went in, because I had learned in 19, uh, uh, trying to guess what year it would have been, 1978, I had learned about soul ties. And I went into a dressing room at Walmart and got on my knees. And I told God, God, tonight, I'm taking my heart that I gave that girl back from her. And when I get home tonight, I'm going to give it to my wife so she can have all my heart. And you said, that is so silly. Now think about this. What if we never moved away? And one day I get in and turn the radio on. And that theme song comes on. And my heart's doing flip-flop about this girl, right? And then... Let's say Alice and I, we're just having a bad time, and all week long we've kind of been arguing. And that song comes on, so I call that girl up, and I say, hey, you know, you wouldn't believe it. I listen to this song on the radio, and it's the theme song of that movie that we watched, and, I, you know, 21 or 20 years ago or whatever it was, you know. And she goes, well, how are you and Alice doing? We're not, well, we're kind of fighting right now. And she goes, I understand, because I just went through a terrible divorce, and if you ever need somebody to talk to, give me a call. Now, understand this. I am in trouble. And you would be too. And I knew that. And I went back and broke that soul tie in prayer and gave my whole heart to my wife. Now, those are the 12 doors that we open up to demonic activity in our lives. Now, the Bible says this here. 3 John 1, 2. So I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health even as thy soul prospereth. Your soul is your mind and your emotions. So God connects my physical health to how healthy my mind and my emotions are, right? Do you see that up there? Okay. Well, let's follow this out here. Um, so if we lose the battle in our mind, then what happens, a stronghold in our mind gets set up through one of those doors that may be open. And we lose the battle in our mind, then it creates where we lose the battle in our emotions. So what happens is we begin to have anxiety. You know, if you're, if you're unforgiving toward people and you're not forgiving them, anxiety is going to set into your heart every time you see them. Could, could you get me, uh, uh, Mike, a, uh, could you get a microphone cord and take the mic off of it and you help me out here? <clears throat> While he's doing that, I'm going to keep talking. And so we have anxiety disorders now. And then people have high levels of lust, lust, and you have a seat right here, just take the mic off, yeah, and you'll need the other end undone, okay? Um, high levels of, say you're looking at inappropriate material. Now what you've done, you have emotions, inappropriate emotions, because you've opened your mind up. Do you all get what I'm doing? So you have your mind open to these doors, it's going to cause these emotional tormentors. Anger is another emotional tormentor that takes place. In other words, you know, when you have a door open, did you know that they say this? Now, I'm not saying this is true in every case, but they're saying close to 80% of angry men in America today is due to the fact that they do not have control of their eyes. And so they're discontent and they're frustrated with life because they're, 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 and so it causes anger inside of their marriage. 
And so anger can happen in our lives. Did you know that anger is a sin? Did you hear what I said? The Bible says, the Scripture is clear about that. It says in Ephesians chapter 4, it says, uh, Be ye angry and sin not, let not the sun go down upon thy wrath. Verse 27 says, Neither give place to the devil. And so what is he saying? There is an anger that's right toward what? Satan and sin. But my anger, uh, ungodly anger, does damage to human beings. Any anger that does damage, uh, that hurts people is sin. Did you hear what I said? It's sin. In fact, disciplining my children, we never used anger in our home. We refused to use anger in our home. Don't, never discipline your children in anger, okay? Because that means you're disciplining them outside of the mind of Christ. And the Bible says in James chapter 1, I believe it's verse 20, it says this. It says, the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. So what does that mean? That means any anger I do toward my children and correcting them, it will not do God's righteousness in their life. You hear me? And so anger and then envy. We're envious because we lost the battle in our mind. We have the emotional traumas of envy and disturbing dreams and thoughts. In other words, you know, we've been watching these fearful movies. We've been watching these immoral movies, and, and now we have disturbing dreams and thoughts. I wish I could tell you some stories about all that stuff right there. And then we find ourselves having high levels of bitterness in our life. And bitter toward what? We're bitter toward uh, our wife. We're bitter toward our, our dad in the past. And because we lost the battle, we've never really forgiven. Let me have the end of this here, and you take the end and walk down there, okay? And uh, let's just say that tonight, and wipe your hand around that a couple times, because, yeah, there you go. And let's just say uh, what we have here is, is, let's just say I'm his dad. And, and so, but while I was raising him, I used anger in disciplining him. Huh? I was spoke those negative words, those abusive words to him. You got me? And so, you know what? Say he doesn't resolve that. He doesn't get that resolve in his heart, but he carries that bitterness in his heart and unforgiveness in his heart. So then what happens is this. If someone walks up and says, hey, you know what? The other day I saw your dad. You see that? And something jerks inside of you. And then someone says, hey, isn't your dad's name Marvin? And all right, someone walks in the church, and it looks like his dad. And here's what happens is people in this room even walk around with this going on inside them all the time. And it's unhealthy for you to do that. You hear me? It's unhealthy for you to live like this. Now let go of that, will you please? Now, hey, I saw your dad the other day. That's the way you're supposed to live. And that's where God calls us to live. God does not want his children walking around. Thank you, brother. He doesn't want us walking around because we're bitter over a traumatic experience. Amen? Yeah. And because what does it do? It will destroy us ultimately. And then we have fears. Fears that we're going to get caught at what we've been looking at. Fears of um, uh, we're going to lose our job, our hatred, our doubts, doubting our salvation. Because you know what? we got these doors open and the devil keeps saying, if you really are saved, you'd never be doing that. He's the accuser of the brethren, isn't he? Huh? And, and then doubts that God loves us. 
You see, what happens is he calls, has he ever doubt God loved you? Sure we have, amen? The Bible says in Daniel 7, 25, it says that he, talking about Satan, shall speak great words against the Most High and wear out the saints. And so what he does, he brings God in a courtroom in your heart and accuses God, hey, he doesn't love you and he's not fair and he, he, he hasn't done you right and, and here you were doing this and that and then this happened, God didn't do you right. You know what that creates? It creates doubts in God. And then perversion and suicidal thoughts. I, I was in a Bible college here many years ago, and I had the, the whole body of um, students were there, and I had them bow their head. And I said, how many of you have thought about suicide since you've been at Bible college? Would you raise your hand up? And you wouldn't believe, I would guess over 200 students raised their hand up that they've been thinking about suicide while they were at Bible college. And what is that all about? They lost the battle. Satan has come to kill, steal, and destroy. Amen? And they'd be amazed how many people here tonight, if the camera wasn't running, I'd have you raise your hand tonight. In, as I, in many places I do it, I haven't bowed their head. In the last meeting I was in, think about this, last meeting I was in, about this many people, and there was 26 people that had thought about suicide in the last three years. Going to church, thought about suicide. I'm not kicking you over that. I've been there. I've done, you know, I've, I've been down that road, the thoughts and the turmoil. I've lost the battle in my mind. And then discontentment. People are discontent with their house. They're discontent with their wife. They're discontent with their husband. They're discontent with their church. And why? Because you know what? We have these doors open that, are, that seem to offer us something different than what we have. And then unforgiveness. Um, well, I wish I had so much more time, but unforgiveness is, is not right to have, okay? You understand that? In other words, the Bible teaches us that in the life of a believer, how many of you are believers tonight? Raise your hand up, okay? You say, I, I know I'm saved. Okay, good. Now watch this. If you're a believer, then you are never supposed to have unforgiveness toward anybody. You go, seriously? Absolutely. Yes. Because the Bible talks about a man that owed another man about $200 million. And the guy walked up to him and said, give me my money. He didn't have it. He said, someone would turn you over to the tormentors. He said, no, please don't. And he forgave him of the $200 million. He went out and grabbed a guy that owed him $17 and threw him in prison because he couldn't pay him his $17. And the man that had forgiven him of $200 million, he finds that out. And he goes to him. The Bible says in verse 34 of chapter 18 of Matthew, it says this. And the Lord was wroth and turned him over to the tormentors. What's amazing is the next verse. It says, And so like which also my heavenly Father do also unto you. If you don't forgive your brother, they're trespasses. So God the Father literally says, if, here's what he's saying. You won't forgive a brother of their offenses toward you? And I'm a holy, just, almighty God? And I forgave you a sinner of yours? And what you just told God is my standard of forgiveness and righteousness is higher than yours. Do you hear me? And what you just told God was, yes, Calvary, your son's blood was enough to forgive me of my sins, but it's not enough for me to forgive somebody else of their sins. We have to have a greater sacrifice than that. You see how offensive that is with God? So God says, you mess with that, I'll turn you over to tormentors. And we got people sometimes, they have unforgiveness towards someone that molested them or someone that abandoned them or someone that abused them or someone that whatever, I don't know. And, and you know what, they walk around in unforgiveness and God says, no, you have no right to walk around in unforgiveness. You say, you don't know what they did to me. I'm telling you, you have no right to walk around in unforgiveness. 
and sit here and say that holy God forgave you of all you've done. Seriously, come on. That's a powerful truth. Insecurity, feelings of insecurity. Um, also, guilt. Guilt is a terrible thing. Guilt is, uh, stay with me, okay? Guilt is, um, there's two sources of guilt. One comes from God, one comes from Satan. And guilt that comes from, let me put this up here real quick. You've got condemnation, because I'm going to tie those together. Uh, guilt that comes from God, watch this, guilt that comes from God brings conviction. And conviction points you to the cross and repentance. And repentance lifts you up out of your sin. Guilt from Satan will not point you to the cross. It will not bring conviction. It brings condemnation. And condemnation, he'll put his foot on your throat and say, you can't beat this and you'll never, you're so bad and God's never going to accept you. And in condemnation, then what it does, it leads to death. And you have that illustration in the Bible of Peter and Judas. They did both the same thing. They denied the Lord, didn't they? Yeah, they did. Denied the Lord in different ways, but they denied their, 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 their allegiance to Christ. And one repents from the conviction, and God uses him another day to preach, and 3,000 souls are saved. And the other one does not respond to that repentance. They responded in condemnation, and the devil said, you might as well kill yourself. And he went out and hung himself. You have repentance on the life and repentance unto death. And, and one is from demonic powers. And if you have any, any guilt that's not being taken care of from past sins, then get taken care of. Your system emotionally is only wired to handle short-term guilt. Did you hear what I said? Long-term guilt will cause you to be mentally and emotionally unstable. We have a lot of people that are in mental wars because they never took care of what they did bad and wrong. They never made it right. You understand? Okay. Isolation. We begin to isolate ourselves. When you begin to want to isolate yourself from the church, or you want to isolate yourself from pastor, you want to isolate yourself from what, whoever. When you begin to isolate yourself, then you got to know that's demonic activity in your life. The Bible says he walks about seeking whom he what? May devour. And he's like a what? Roaring lion. Have you ever seen one of those documentaries, safari documentaries, and the lions in the weeds, and the gazelle are in the field, and the lion's creeping up to the edge? And he gets up to the edge, and he comes out of those weeds, and the gazelles start running away from him. And what does he do? He gets between the main herd and one gazelle, and the herd goes this way, and he steers this one away from the herd. And once he isolates that gazelle, that gazelle has no hope of living. It's over with for him. You understand what I'm saying? Well, the Bible says he walks about like a roaring lion. And what he wants to do is isolate you from people of God. What happens is teenagers, they grow up and they go, well, I know I'm 11th grader. I don't want to go down there with all them 7th graders. I don't want to go to any youth activities. That's starting of isolation. When your children want to go upstairs and not spend time with you, and they just want to hide themselves in the room and do their own thing upstairs, so everybody goes, oh, that's teenagers. No, that's not teenagers. That means they want to isolate themselves. That means you're losing their heart. Amen. Yeah, my children, you know, when they were growing up, they would, they would sit in my bed until 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning. And they would talk, and they would want to sing. And, we, and my wife would go, Marvin, they got school tomorrow. I know what, I don't know what to do with these kids. If only they would, you know, have demonic activity. They would be isolated. <laughs> They'd go, go to bed, and we'd have peace in our life. Amen? And, and so we, we just... 
they didn't they never would leave the room you know and what an incredible life that we've had so we all work together in the same office and we don't kill each other it's it's unbelievable amen and then depression and post-traumatic stress disorder i'm going to speed up here and all these things are a result of having a door open and then what happens is you lose the battle in your mind you lose the battle in your emotions and then you begin to lose the battle in your body and what you begin to suffer with nausea being nauseated colitis colon problems intestinal problems uh, ulcers, uh, bleeding ulcers, or infection in your ulcer, having ulcers, and, and and what happens is is it's because you have acids in your body, and every, you're so frustrated, and you're so mad, or you're so angry, or so bitter, and your body's trying to balance you out. You have chemicals in your body that keeps you balanced. It's like um, antifreeze in a car; it keeps you from overheating, and God has that in you already. But then what happens is if you just leave that alone and you have high levels of anger and high levels of unforgiveness and high levels of bitterness, you begin to have these problems because your body can't keep enough chemicals manufactured to balance your system out. And then we go in because we're chemically imbalanced. You see what I'm saying? Uh, cancer. It's amazing. Most, there's so much cancer in people's lives. Everybody here has cancer cells in your body right now as you sit here, but we're, we're hoping they're dormant. Amen? But much of cancer today is a, re, is a result of losing the battle in your emotions because you lost the battle in your mind because you never took care of some things in your life. Uh, hives. I was preaching a meeting, and this young lady, it was a large youth meeting down in, in, over in Arkansas. And this young lady came forward, and she was a pianist in a church, and she had played the piano for that, that, that conference. And she stood over here when I got done with the meeting, and she said, can I talk to you? And I went over here, and she said, you know, you said I, if you have hives, it could be a result of losing the battle in your mind, a door being open, and then losing the battle in your emotions. I said, yeah, that's right. She said, well, I get hives every time I play the piano on Sunday at my church. I said, really? So you get hives? And I said, how long that's been going on? She said, about four and a half years. I said, well, what happened four and a half years ago that made you so bitter? And she said, who said I was bitter? I said, I said you're bitter. How'd you know I was bitter? I said, your jawline tells it. Your brow tells it. And you're a bitter young lady. What happened to you? She said, well, my mom got cancer. And my dad was the pastor, is the pastor of the church. And I begged God to heal my mom. And he didn't do it, and he let her die, and now she's gone, and she's in the past, and I don't have her anymore, and I can't see her. And I said, okay. I said, so, she says, but why is it when I play the piano that I get hives? I said, because when you go to play the piano, you're playing for the God that you're mad at. And you, I said, I bet your music used to be more melodious, didn't it? She said, yeah, it was. Now it's pounding the piano, isn't it? I said, Yes. That's because you, you're playing for the God that you didn't answer your prayer. You're mad at him. You wanted her to live. And she began to weep. And she says, what am I to do? And I said, I'll tell you what to do. Close your eyes and turn around and face that wall. That's weird counsel, isn't it? And she said, seriously? I said, yeah. She turned around and faced this wall. And she's facing this wall. I said, now, your eyes are closed? Yes. I said, reach out and pretend your mama's there. And take her in and hug her. And say, I love you. I miss you, and I wish you were here. Now, hold on to your mom. That's in the past. Turn around, turn all the way around, hold on to your mom, and put your mom in your future now. I said, is your mom in your past or in your future? She's in the future. She's in heaven. 
Did you pray God would heal her? Yes. Is she healed? Yes. So is your mom really dead? No. And what happens is Satan will always cause you to look at some traumatic experience in the past and where you focus on that, and it will cripple you from going and reaching your potential in your future. And as she did that and put her mom in the future, she went to her knees and raised her hands up. And she began to praise the Lord right there in that church right there. And then I got home, and it was on Sunday night after church. I got done preaching, and I have a door, uh, kind of like that door there, but uh, and it goes to my office right after I preach. If you preach a bad message, that's what those doors are for you. You don't have to face the crowd. And so I just go, if you lay an egg out here, you just go in there, and you don't turn the office lights, and you stay in there until everybody leaves, amen? I've done many of those. That carpet's wore out going back to my office. And that night, I laid an egg, and so I went back there, and I was, walked in my office, and the phone was ringing, and I picked it up and said, Harvest Baptist Ministries, Pastor Smith. On the other end of the phone, here's what was heard. She goes, no hives! I go, oh, hi, how you doing? She said, I'm serious, no hives this morning, no hives tonight. I played melodiously. Everybody knows the difference. And you know what it was is that your body reacts physically to the emotional traumas that you're not dealing with properly in your mind, okay? And headaches, uh, not your husband, but headaches from, uh, you we have a lot of people with headaches now. People are taking a lot of medication for headaches, and I think a lot of our headaches are a result of losing the battle. Uh, catatonic and zoning out, some of y'all are doing that by this time, okay? And catatonic is where it's like sometimes you just want to sleep and don't want to face life. Um, insomnia, you, you can't sleep now, so you're going to take pills to sleep. And isn't that a nightmare? Amen, doing that. And I often tell about, uh, you know, you've seen that commercial where that lady's laying in the bed there and, and her makeup and her hair is perfect and she's laying there and she's sleeping. And she's got a grin on her face as the moonlight's hitting her in the face. And, and the guy on the TV goes, would you like to sleep like this? And you're watching, you're going, you're going yes, <clears throat> yes. And then a butterfly comes through the window and lands on her. And that represents this pill that she took that night. And then immediately the next scene is she's sitting on the edge of the bed. Her hair is perfect, her makeup's on, and she's stretching, she's smiling. And she's going, <sighs> and he goes, would you like to wake up like this in the morning? You're, yes, yes, I want that. And then they say, take this pill. Now, that is false advertisement. Amen. Uh, I gave my wife one of those one night. And, and I said, do your hair and do your makeup before you go to bed. And the next morning, she didn't look like that lady did. So I'm telling you right off the bat, that's false advertisement right there. I mean, nothing like that lady. I'm telling you, nothing like her. And when, you know, when she said, would you like to wake up like this? I said, I'd like for you to wake up like that. Amen. But it's false advertisement. But, you know, did you notice at the end of the commercial what they do? Here's what they do. They say something like this, you know, at the end, they go, take this pill. Now, uh, if you get dizzy, don't drive. And then it's going to cause lung cancer. It could cause kidney failure. It could cause, if you can't breathe, call 911, get life flighted to the hospital. And you know what that pill may do is put you permanently asleep. And wouldn't it be better if we'd take God at his word and say that he gives his beloved sleep? That's what he says. And you know what our problem is? We lost the battle up here. And we lost the battle in our emotions. Now we're losing it in our sleep. And quickly, speech disorders. I've had people that had stuttering, the stuttering left when they got things resolved. Eating disorders, um, breathing disorders. I wish I had time to tell you a story behind every one of these. Dizziness. 
uh, vision loss. I, I had a, a man that was blind. The doctor said, you're not blind. And he was blind, though. He couldn't see. And when he was willing to forgive his wife for what she had done to him, his eyesight came back after four years. And it was a really interesting thing. I had his son drop by my office. That's been 15 years ago, 14 years ago. His son dropped by my office recently and said, I was a little child, and you helped my dad out. And he said, it changed our family. Vision loss, par paralysis. We had a young man come in paralyzed from the neck down in a wheelchair. And the doctor said, you are paralyzed, but we can't find anything wrong with you. And it was all over being bitter, uh, his paralyzation. See, bitterness is a root. And a root goes into your system and wraps, root does what? It wraps around something, right? right. Well, root will cut off circulation. And, and oh, no, hear this, all bitterness will attack a nerve system, some nerve system. The guy that was blind attacked his optical nerves. The young man that was paralyzed attacked his nerves in his spine. And the, both of those, both of those, God healed them when they were willing to give up their bitterness and, and high blood pressure. And that could be muscle spasms, heart troubles, and these are things the Bible says, for instance, you see a fear up there? The Bible says that men's hearts shall fail them for fear. Remember that scripture? All right, we've done a lot tonight. I probably wore you out, okay? That little glitch at the beginning got us behind, so I've been <laughs> blamed that, okay? Now, now it's time for some victory. The Bible says, but thanks be to God which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And scripture says this. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And you know that that's not talking to lost people in that particular scripture. It says that the many Jews had believed, and he said unto them, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Do you know God's people are walking in bondage? And tonight God wants to set you free. Amen? And so if you're here tonight, and you'd say, Pastor, I have one or more of those doors open. Would you bow your head and close your eyes for a moment, please? And I'd like for no one to be looking around at this point. And could we turn the camera, not make sure nobody in the crowd has 